promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak-willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Hello, and welcome back to the Treadweary Podcast, the audio arm of Treadweary.com. My name is Pastor Carlton Smee, and it's so great to be with you again today. Now, I'm stoked in part because we get to dig finally into uh, sort of the the meat, no pun intended, of John 6. But also, those of you who know this, who know me, and maybe those of you who don't, Star Trek Picard came out this week. If, you, if you're listening to this, I'm recording the, uh, the Monday after Star Trek Picard came out on January 23rd. Ooh! <laughs> Oh, it was so good. Oh, I'm so excited for for this this new Star Trek coming to us. Oh, it was so awesome. And I'll actually have a, a kind of a, a tie-in from, from the episode. So if you have CBS All Access, you'll, you'll need to watch it. But if you uh, are a fan and that you have seen Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation movies, all that stuff. If you've had a conversation with me ever, you you would know that I'm a huge fan of Captain Picard and a huge fan of Star Trek. And so if if you see me around or if you get a chance to meet with me, you can just ask me anything you want to about Star Trek and I will talk your ear off for about as long as I would uh, dealing with the gospel. Not not as much as with the gospel, but but pretty darn close. Anyways, other than being in a good mood because of that, I'm also in a good mood because, like I said, we're going to f- get close to finishing up John chapter 6, this big, long, meaty chapter dealing with all this bread stuff and all this belief stuff. And last week, we talked about listening and learning. We talked about God drawing us to himself, this this question of election, that God actually doing this work in us, this 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 issue of us being brought to faith. If you remember correctly, I, I quoted a little bit from the third article of the Creed, Luther's uh, explanation of the third article of the Creed, where Martin Luther, after we, we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. He then says, I believe that I cannot by my own understanding or effort believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. It is this working of God upon us that often comes to us against us, causing us to come to faith when so often than not we would not want to. Well, today... As, as most of you know, we have been going through the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at it from the perspective of worship, being worshipers, being made into worshipers. And we, we've almost finished up here with John 6, and then we'll get into John 7 with some of the other uh, things dealing with his brothers and, uh, and being the Messiah, and then, and then John 8 with the, the woman caught in adultery and being the light of the world and and truth and, and freedom, and, and then we get to get into 9, chapter 9, dealing with the blind man, which is one of my favorites. They're all my favorites, what can I say? 
Well, today we'll be going from verse 47 to verse, verse 59, I think. We might, we might go a little bit farther, but I don't think so. I think, I think we'll have more than enough to talk about here in our 20 minutes or so together. So if you have your Bible, why don't you grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we're going to be starting at verse 47. I, again, am, am reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, may you open your word to us that we might devour it, chew on it, eat it, have it be our life, that we might know that the life of your Son is the life that we need. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, John spends quite a bit of time in fleshy circles. Part of this is because he's writing against Gnosticism, which to to cut to the chase, Gnosticism was this was this, this movement within Greek philosophy, and it had invaded the church, and, and many of us are still Gnostics to this day in a lot of our beliefs, where any time where we say, well, that's secular, this is spiritual, that's a Gnostic belief. Uh, where we say, well, this is spiritual, that's fleshly, or, or this is spiritual, that's, that's of the world. That's basically a Gnostic belief. Uh, they, they tended to believe that, that there was secret knowledge that was passed down and only certain believers uh, received that knowledge, but even more so, quite often, the things of the physical were seen as less important than the things of the spirit, the things of the mind, the things of the heart. And so belief in something, trusting in something, would have been important even to the Gnostics. But here, John attaches that trust, that belief, to something physical. Jesus says earlier than this, what we covered last week, that our belief involves a coming to a particular person, that is the Father and Jesus. And it includes a listening and a learning from the Father, even though we haven't seen him. Well, now, Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes or anyone who trusts, as I've said this before in past podcasts, but I try to make the movement in my mind that when I see believe— I want it to say trust. 
because believe tends to be this this idea of this set of doctrines that we just sign our name to, and we say, okay, yep, I'll hold to these things, like we're we're signing up for the NRA or for the Lions Club or something like that. This is actual trust, trusting in something to be true. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Anyone who holds on to the fact that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Trusting that to be true. Trusting when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Trusting that that is true. Not just believing it, trusting it. Or everyone the Father gives me will come to me and anyone who comes to me, I will not cast out, he says. Or this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes or trusts in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, this this issue of life is a big thing here. Uh, In part, and we've talked about this before, this question of what is life? Is life just going through our day? Is is life having a heart that beats and and a brain that works? Or is there something more to life? It's a dangerous place to get into because then we start degrading people down into little segments of life. Or whatever generation we are, we will look to the younger or older generation than us and see, well, they just don't get it. They're not, the, they're not right. They're not the same person or they shouldn't have the same abilities or rights. And we tend to downgrade them. I see that with our elderly and I see it with our children and our youth. This notion of life. And and for the billionth time now in John 6, when we get to verse 48, he says again, I am the bread of life. This is attachment to something physical, bread that you need to eat in order to stay alive. Bread would have been a staple of all life for people there. And then he says in verse 49, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Basically saying, the other bread that came down from heaven, the, the bread that came directly from God to you to sustain you couldn't hold off the fact that one day you will be worm food, that one day you will die, he says to the people. And he speaks to us as well, speaking to us of the things that we attach our life to that can't stave off the clock. The fact that you can get done watching the Grammys last night or you can watch the Oscars coming up in a few weeks and you see all these people who are doing everything they can to lie to themselves that they are getting older, that their hairline has not been receding or, or that their uh, parts of their body are sagging that they don't want to sag. I'm trying not to be too uh, graphic. Or uh, the wrinkles under their eyes are not as, as profound as, as they want you to see. This lying to ourselves of the fact that our mortality needs to be in front of us. It's, a, it's our, meta- our mortality, the truth of it, that actually is the first step of repentance. Understanding the fact that we in ourselves do not have life on our own, but we receive from God that as a gift. And as our mortality gets placed in front of us, the fact that uh, just yesterday, a gentleman by the name of Kobe Bryant, all of you know who he is. He was only eight days older than me. He just died in a helicopter accident with his 13-year-old daughter. I said to my 12-year-old son, that would be like you and I going up for a helicopter cra- and it crashes and we don't come back. 
This, this idea that our mortality should be there right in front of our faces so that it keeps us on a proper plane of life so that when we come across others, we don't see them as less than or greater than. We realize that their poop still stinks, pardon the expression. They are still fragile. They are still frail. They are still a mistake-filled sinner in this world that goes for pastors, that goes for parishioners, that goes for bishops, that goes for celebrities, that goes for everybody. And when we keep our mortality, if we want to try and see anything else about the Bible, if we understand that everything that began with the fall back in Genesis 3, the the eating of the apple, and the curse that came upon humanity because of that, because of that sin, because of that desire to be just like God and be able to say, we know what is good and what is bad, God. We don't need you. God basically puts us in a place with our mortality as a curse for us to realize that we need him, that we can't keep ourselves from the grave. And here Jesus and John are trying to get this through our heads that life is found in something other than us. That God holds our very breath in the palms of his hands, as he says in Daniel. So he says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They, they ate this, this bread that you hold so dear that's part of your story, but they still died. It didn't save them from that. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, verse 50, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. Here in the West, we spend a lot of our time talking about sin, which we should, because sin is a big issue. But in the Eastern Church, they spend way more time talking about resurrection, about the need for life after death, that regardless of how hard we might try, one day we will die. And we have to keep that in our minds, beloved. We have to. Not because we're wanting to be depressed, not because we have a suicidal wish or anything of that sort, but it's for us to remember that our life is somewhere else, found in someone else. And in the Eastern Church, resurrection is way more important because they hold to the fact that the wages of sin is death, meaning our sin receives the reward of death. Sin is going to come. Sin is going to happen. It's always going to happen. But the greatest enemy that we have is death, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. We're waiting for death to be swallowed up in victory and to be under the footstool of Jesus, for that to be the final victory that no one else may die, but we might live in him forever. And here he says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. That in Christ is something more than just a nice teacher. He says, I am the living bread. This is the third or fourth time he said that. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I want to take a moment here as I pull out my Greek New Testament. As we start thinking of this idea of eating. And right now he's talking about using the words, these physical words of actually eating bread, eating food, eating it. This, This idea that food for us is something that keeps us going. 
gives us life, gives us energy, keeps us healthy, all those things. Well, how does Jesus work within that? How does this life of Christ work within us? We spend so much of our time finding it in other people. Right now in the midst of the impeachment trial of of President Trump, people on both sides of the aisle just going nuts, just going crazy, holding on to whatever they can to get their way. And here Jesus is saying, well, the life that you need, all these other things that you are doing to try and hold on to life in some way, shape, or form are but a shadow. You need to come to me, eat of me, dwell with me, devour me, be with me, because this is where life is. This is where your identity lies, because it can't be taken away from you. No one can rob you of this word of promise from Christ that life comes in him to devour it and eat it and to live by it. Well, of course, the Jews, or let's just say the religious people, argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Quite literally, his his flesh, his body. How can he give us this stuff to eat? Number one, he's a dude, okay? Uh, And number two, gross. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to eat human flesh. We're not cannibals. Yuck. And that usually is the response of religious people. The uber-religious tend to have their religion, their tradition, and the things that they have developed as their favorite parts of that tradition or religion as their Jesus, whatever that might be. And if that stuff gets challenged, if Jesus Christ especially is brought to them for who he is from the scriptures, not for who we somehow think he's supposed to be, whatever this facsimile Jesus is that we've conjured up in our heads— that's usually our response. I, I find it myself as a pastor all the time. I have this particular image of my in my head of what the church should look like, how church should go. And that's not good. That's not good. Because we usually lose the Jesus that we need in there. So then Jesus finally gets back at them one more time, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Well, if we take the time to actually look at these words, the first thing that we have to realize is he's reiterating exactly what it is that they have an issue with. The people there listening at that time knew what he was saying. He wasn't speaking in hyperbole. He didn't take the time, well, I didn't really mean my flesh. I didn't really mean my blood. It's, it's a symbol of something else. He was actually meaning exactly what he said, and he hammers the point even further because he says to them, after he says, unless you eat, my, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. He compounds it, compounds it even further by saying that the one who chews my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He actually uses the verb to chew, not just to have some symbolic eating. I've heard people talk about this, well, this passage about is about dwelling in, in the word or dwelling with Jesus, which is very important. We've already talked about that. But here Christ is actually getting to 
the root of what has become the high point of church worship. The actual eating of Jesus. The sacrament of Holy Communion. Because what it does is it takes the very promises of God, attaches words to them that we hear in our ears, and then we get to hold and taste on our tongues the guarantee of those promises. We get to realize that when Jesus says, I'm here to bring you life, that he is actually doing that. Because Jesus says it, and he says it multiple times. I'm going to read it here even from the Greek, and I'm going to do my best, so so give me a break here. The one who chews my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who chews my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Do you hear that, church? The reality that within the sacrament of communion, it's more than just some sort of nice little fellowship thing. It's more than just a remembrance. It's more than just symbol. It's Christ coming to you in his gifts for you, in the fact that he is there forgiving your sin, bringing you life and salvation, as the catechism says. Because even in the catechism, the Lutheran small catechism, which some of you may not be Lutheran and if you're not, that's that's okay. We'll welcome you. Please come join us. Uh, find, a, find a Lutheran church and, and come on over. He says in part five, dealing with the sacrament of Holy Communion, what benefits do we receive from the sacrament? That's the second question. The benefits of the sacrament are pointed out by the words given and shed for you for the remission of sins. These words assure us that in the sacrament, we receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Christ attaching promises to the actual eating, making sure that we understand here, and this is Luther speaking, making sure that we understand here in John 6, that when he's talking about eternal life, when he's talking about having life in the eating and drinking, the true food and true drink, my flesh, my blood, as he says. He's meaning it, and he, in that, is handing us the very promise he's giving to us of life. And Luther anticipating our, well, how can this be true? Third question, how can eating and drinking do all this? It is not eating and drinking that does this, but the words given and shed for you, for the remission of sins. These words, along with eating and drinking, are their main thing in the sacrament, and whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. Telling us that there's nothing special that we have to do other than to receive what it is that Christ has come to give us in that. And here in John 6, if we want to look at it from a worship standpoint, we start to realize that worship, especially if, if, if the Eucharist, if Holy Communion, if the Lord's Supper is the centerpiece of the service. Yes, the sermon is absolutely important. The preaching of the gospel sets up the table for the table, the actual Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. 
But the Lord's Supper exists there so that even if the sermon is horrible and if the pastor is bad, Jesus is still giving of himself this life and salvation, this bread of life for you, this one who comes to allow you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. John, speaking against those who want to to maybe deny that there was true body and blood of Jesus within the bread and the wine of communion. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me or abides in me and I in him. That's verse 56. Because as we come to the table and realize that it is Christ for us, giving to us of what we need, then we discover that we need him. A quote came up on my Facebook uh, memories this week from one of my devotionals that I was reading, I think last year, two years ago, something like that, where it said, we should come to the table of the Lord as though we are going to our death, so that when we come to our death, it is as going to the table of the Lord. Coming to Christ in such a way that we know we need this, we need life, we need to receive from him the gifts, so that when the day comes that we are ushered into the throne room of grace, to feast with all the guests of the marriage feast of the Lamb, that we might know that this is what we need, this Christ. Well, verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Meaning Christ comes in the world because the Father sends him as the word, speaks him into the world, but then also our life is wrapped up in this Jesus. As Paul says multiple times in, I believe it is uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, I think, you were bought at a price. You are not your own. Here we have Jesus doing the same thing. Who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is why teaching is important in preaching. Well, I like it that he says there, they ate of that and they died. This other thing that they trusted in, they ate of it, but they died. But I'm here to bring you life. Well, church, I hope you hold on to that. I beg that you would hold on to these promises of Christ that he gives to you here in John 6, that it would be life and salvation for you. With that, go at the blessings of God upon you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.